six of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And today we continue and finish our Legend of Korra recap season one with this week's episodes 111 Skeletons in the Closet and 112 Endgame. In this episode, you can obviously expect full spoilers for The Legend of Korra, as well as spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender. There may be potential spoilers for other Avatar media, but we will give you plenty of of warning if we get into anything too spoilery. Um, Joining us today, once again, is Francesca, who was on, let's see, uh, the world-building episode and the first recap episode of Korra. So we thought we'd we'd bookend it with, uh, with some of your insight. How are you doing, Fran? I'm good. I'm I'm enjoying the fact that I'm officially a bookend now. I love bookends. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> love oh that. God. And you're and you're joining us. It's what midnight over at on on your time zone. <laughs> yes, it is. It's half midnight <laughs> at the moment. Well, coming up to half midnight. <laughs> yeah, everyone's committed on the show, including oh, absolutely Kayla, who is here. Despite what you have, Kayla, coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, it fi- it finally got one of us. How you feeling? Much better than I've felt in the last two days. Uh, yeah, I got like a home test yesterday. I was like thinking, you know what? I feel good right now, minus the cough. Like I didn't have yeah. the fever anymore. So I was like, okay. Like she said that I um negative. You know, my boss said it. I guess I started a new job this week. That's <laughs> eclipsed wow. by the Great coronavirus, timing. right? <laughs> so literally the day I was starting my new job, you know, I did keep my boss updated because I was told I was exposed, you know, all that stuff. And so she said, you know, if you're still feeling okay, even with the cough and all that stuff, and you test negative before you come in, you can come in, all that stuff. If not, we can do it remotely. And so I was like, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, let's see what the home test has to say. And it was a very loud positive. It wasn't like a faint little baby positive. It was a bright line. Oh, and I'm like, hi, Nikki, I'm really sorry. I have coronavirus. Like, oh. so that that's the thing. What's really funny is that I got two different calls today because I did, I took multiple tests. I took like, you know, one at home test. I went to MedExpress and I got a rapid, which was negative. And then I got a lab test, which took till today for me to get the results. So I got the test yesterday that said I was positive. And then I got a call from the Pennsylvania Department of Health to talk to me about my positive COVID result. And then like four hours later, I get a call from MedExpress. Hi, this is this Kayla. I'm like, yes, this is her. And then it's like, you were calling about your test result. I'm like, yeah, I think I have an idea of what you're about to tell me. And yeah, I was like, at this yeah. point, I was like, yeah, we know. Yeah, I've known for 40 over almost like 24 hours, over 24 hours. Like, yeah, with the program. It's not good news <laughs> when they have to call you and tell you yeah. what the result was. Well, they did say that if like it was negative, the lab result was negative, they wouldn't get back to me. But if it was positive, mm-hmm. they'd get back to me. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. an experience. So yeah, I have, I have Miss Rona finally got me and you know what things like this make me even more happy for modern science because i if there was a time for me to get covid it would be i'd be okay with it right now because i have yeah. i'm vax boost and boosted and everything so it's fine by me and you know and then i got it on perfect timing right before i go on vacation in two weeks so mm. you know I will be like so you're, in, you're in the clear for the next couple of months. Exactly. At the very least. Exactly. So that makes me feel a little better about the whole shindig. And you know what? I got a few more days at home and I'm fine with that. Yeah. And, you know, really tested the capabilities of working from home and especially doing all the onboarding stuff. That has been fun. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, on top of getting COVID, you also recently uh, graduated, didn't you? I did. 
graduated. Congrats. See, COVID just overshadows everything. Amazing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I graduated. I started a new job. I got COVID, you know. <laughs> Is that where you were exposed, graduation? No, actually, I was exposed the day after graduation. Um, oh. I went to go. I was a, a part of a Rocky Horror uh, shadow cast. And so we got, uh, yeah, so one of my friends got tested positive for COVID on Sunday. And so that's probably where I got it from. I was oh, Columbia. Gotcha. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah. Oh, and I got a tattoo as well. That's also another thing. <laughs> So this very busy, very busy. You know, getting 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 them. You know, getting the you know the panini catching up to me and graduating and getting tattooed and all that other stuff. So yeah, a lot's been going on for me. <laughs> well, Fran, how have you been doing since we last yeah. talked? Can you talk, Kayla? <laughs> um. Well, I was going to say a tattoo. I did <sighs> get a tattoo just because I know obviously you guys are going to be putting this on Patreon. I will do. Uh-huh. The women in power Cora yeah. tattoo. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes, I love it. It turned out so good. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled with it. I've booked in my next tattoo for two months from now. <laughs> nice. What are you getting? Um, do you know yet? I do indeed. So I am getting. So I don't know fully what the design is going to be, but I know that it is wolf related. It's either going to be just a generic wolf paw print or a wolf paw print with the wolf inside with glowing blue eyes. Ooh, I love that. It is nice. fully dependent on price. <laughs> Like which is cheaper? <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. that because I am broke. So if anyone would also like to maybe support me on Patreon, I'm just <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, plug it, plug it, go for of it. Patreon.com/slash a healthy friend. Please, I need money. <laughs> well, and also for for uh, our listeners who missed you the other two times you were here, you're also a published author, correct? Yes. I am indeed. Yes, and my debut novel for this Into the Wild series, which is Tarzan meets Call of the Wild, is coming out in. Bobby, we're met. when will this episode come out? So I can be saying the right months. Uh, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is that is that still May? The tw- yes. It's yes. still May. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's still May. <laughs> so it will the twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. Okay, so it will be exactly three months from the day this episode comes out until my debut oh, novel, um, which is Home to the Wild, the first novel in the Into the Wild series, but the First short story, which sets up everything for this series, Echoes of the Past, is out on all the ebooks right now. If anyone wants to hop on that, it's currently on sale at one ninety nine. I don't know what it is in dollars, but that's one ninety nine in pounds because I'm English, of course. Um, <laughs> you're from Idaho with that accent. <laughs> I will take it. I don't know where Idaho is. Where is I don't either. Neither do we. Okay, that's good. <laughs> no one actually does. We're pretty convinced that it's just shout out to all our listeners boys in Idaho. <laughs> all negative five of them. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> all right. How well, are you doing though? Have we have we haven't checked in with you? We're getting like overshadowed oh, these big oh, things. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot. Going Get a on check right in now. with you. There's a lot going I'm on. I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm actually also in the process. I I guess it's just tattoo month because I'm also get in the process of trying to figure out what I want to do for my next tattoo. Ooh, nice. Uh, because my sister gifted me um two hundred dollars on my birthday. She said get whatever tattoo you want, just keep it under two hundred. And I was like, great. So I have like two small ones on you know either uh like wrist i guess so i want to try and get something bigger like coming down like my arm uh i just don't know what it is i've played around with the idea of like avatar tattoos join and the I, avatar ink club i want to <laughs> uh, yeah i want to get like an earthbender tattoo at some point i don't know if i want to get it this time around 
Um, I'm really love in currently in love with the idea of doing kind of like um the moon phases with like flowers coming out of the moon or something. Ooh. I have yet to find like a reference photo that like is like capturing what I'm thinking. But I kind of want to do something with that because I love the moon and I love flowers. And I just love the idea of getting something like, you know, more like feminine tattooed, you know, so. That's awesome. I love so, yeah. that. So I'll keep all updated on, on the on the tattoo journey for sure. Please do. Um, but yeah, we got a big, big episode today. <laughs> um, and Fran has been gatekeeping all the news because uh, <laughs> the day she comes on is when we have literally a half a uh, page and a half of news. So let's just get right into it. Um, first of all, before we get in, into any outside news, we do have a quick just reminder from the podcast. Next week, we will be doing our first Messenger Hawk mailbag episode. So if you have any lingering theories, headcanons, any questions you want to ask the hosts, me and Kayla, Avatar related, non-Avatar related, it's literally going to be about everything and everything. Send it on in. You can email it to the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on our socials. Just search the Avatar Hour Podcast and you'll be able to find us. Um, but yeah, we still have plenty of, of you know, space to get in uh, plenty more submissions. So, uh, so yeah, definitely send it in if you got anything to send in. Um, so we got some news regarding uh, the Netflix live action series. So the VFX studio DNEG, I don't know if you're supposed to say it like DNEG or whatever, but I'm just going to say DNEG. Um, they are the VFX studio who won, who actually won an Oscar for their work on Dune, which if you haven't seen Dune, uh, you can tell why they won an Oscar. It's breathtaking. Um, and cool. they will actually be heading up the VFX and virtual production of the Netflix live action Atlas series. They announced a multi-year agreement with Netflix uh, to work on multiple projects, not just the Avatar one. And they've reportedly already begun work on the series. And thank you to Avatar Wiki on Twitter because they realized that if you go to their website, they seem to hint that we could be getting a trailer for the live action series soon. Because if you go over to the Avatar The Last Airbender tab, there's a big like text box that says the avatar returns and then on the bottom it says trailer coming soon now this surprised me because i think i was just kind of accepted the fact that the latest we would get a trailer is like near that like the end of the year or like even like next year i was not expecting a trailer to come so soon yeah that's plot twist what do you guys think <laughs> so i don't think it's actually going to be like a proper proper trailer like the way i yeah. read like the first thing I can think of was obviously they started filming back in November. So they would have probably done a few of the early episodes at that point as well. So what I'm thinking is that it may be like a concept trailer or like one of those like mini teasers that sometimes they do just to kind of start building right. some hype. So we may see some costumes, some location, and that's kind of just mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. Like I know I'll have to send you guys it, but there's like a fan film called Avatar: The Last of the Airbenders. Yep, that did. We've interviewed them on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, awesome! <laughs> but uh, their teaser trailer of like that one minute thing of just like it's just the special effects of them going over the mountains, and then you just see the Fire Nation boats. Like a teaser like that is like the first mm. thing I was just thinking of with this. Of that's probably the most we'll probably get at this point. Yeah, I think it'd be more of a teaser than like an yeah. actual full length like one and a half to two minute trailer yeah um yeah but still it, getting it something i don't yeah. know though because i mean if they started filming back in november it i think it was more or less confirmed that it would be eight episodes i imagine there's a lot of vfx i don't imagine it 
now that I'm thinking about it, I don't imagine the filming to take too long. And I also can imagine that a production like this, they're going to be working on VFX concurrently with principal photography. So maybe we will get a full trailer. I think it's more likely that we'll maybe get like a minute teaser trailer. Um, but I now that it comes to mind, Kayla, next week we should do an after hour episode talking about what we either want to see in the trailer or what we can expect in the trailer. Put, let's put a pin in that. Ideas. Yeah. I was going to say, I do know they're still <laughs> filming at the moment. So that's yeah. why I'm also thinking, because like they don't finish filming until the end of June. I think it is that they've, because they added on like an extra month. Because I think they were meant to have already finished yeah. filming. I think they added on an extra month to. Well, especially the end since of it. they just cast Roku, like what two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, the announcement was made. We don't. We he was probably cast way before. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. And um, on to some more news, more about the live action series. So the live action series apparently um has been declared to have the biggest led stage in the world by guinness world records so um if you guys don't know this is cutting edge like new vfx technology um if you want to see how it works if you go on if you have disney plus and go to like the behind the scenes like mandalorian show that they got on there they talk about it at length because they're like insanely proud of it as they should be where they can instead of using a green screen they can project literally anything they want on these like giant floor to ceiling screens and it's so realistic because like you know the pixels and all the technical jargon but yeah apparently this production has the biggest led stage in the world and it's currently one of the largest in north america um, and I think it's interesting because, you know, actually when Fran was on here last, we were also talking about the budget and now we know why that budget is so big. What, what that budget? <laughs> this is again, new technology. It's also very expensive. So, um, yeah, all point, the and, and, you know, as they should, as they should, they got a lot right on this series, especially now with like the bad blood with. You know, Netflix cracking down on like sharing passwords and people kind of like not being enamored by all the content that's on Netflix. Like most of it is like not great. So they've got a lot riding on on this on this a lot of pressure. (laughs) And then to our last piece of news, um, we should you know you should we should know these are just rumors. Nothing's confirmed. Nothing's been announced. Take it with, with a grain of salt. But there are rumors circulating around Paramount and Avatar Studios' upcoming movie and show slate. And Avatar News on Instagram seemed to confirm an animated prequel movie and an animated Zuko solo movie. There's currently no information on what these movies will actually focus on. But if these are true, if this is like a true rumor, it seems to confirm that Avatar Studios is interested in telling new stories while also revisiting the original characters. So. What do you guys think? I mean, if if you could just have a wish list prequel movie, like what would what would it be for you guys? Second Avatar, straight up. Oh yeah, mm. the Avatar after one, just like the the mind fuckery that it would have. Oh wait, am I allowed to swear? Yes, I just read. yes. Okay, I'll oh, swear all the time. Go for it. <laughs> fucking fucking go for it. <laughs> I just had a moment of like, wait, can I? <laughs> But um, I don't know why I asked because I remember I did last time. <laughs> it's okay. Um, You're on like four I mean, it would different be, podcasts. It would be, it would so be funny. Fine. To... <laughs> yeah, right. Don't worry about it. Um, but uh, yeah, no. If just 
the the, the mind fuck it must have been for the second avatar to like because obviously they would have been into the air nation at that point though i don't think it would have been called the air nation uh, around that time but to do air and then suddenly like they get angry and they just spout a burst of fire or something like that and like wait what the fuck and someone's like oh that guy one used to do that <laughs> and just like people just being like like confused as hell and Confusion. all that sort of stuff it would have been it'd be amazing yeah i like that idea a lot too i was gonna say that and then i was also thinking like oh i'd also like a kiyoshi one but also we have kiyoshi books and i don't want to like detract from that but you know we know we love our girl kiyoshi i think <laughs> read the books. i would love a prequel movie on the second avatar i'm also kind of thinking though i think Bryke are really wanting to kind of diversify their kind of the kind of content that they're making and i can kind of i can see like this animated prequel movie may be being about someone that's like not an avatar I don't know exactly what about. I don't know. But it might be interesting to get like an outside perspective on some of the historical events in the universe and how it like affected, you know, people that aren't the Avatar. Um, So I don't know. But I mean, prequel movie can literally mean anything right before Sokka and Katara find Aang. So it can literally be anything. And then this this Zuko solo movie, what again, wishlist ideas. What would you want this to be about? Um, I actually have no idea. I remember seeing this and being like, "Why?" I, I think, yeah. I also kind of had the same initial thought. I'm like, "Why Zuko?" I mean, I like Zuko. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but like, why him for a first? Like, never mind. We're not going to go there. I'm sure I'm going to get angry stands in my inbox. Uh, just I've had them already. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But I also do think that if I were to see if if I were to see a Zuko solo film, I would think it would be interesting for him that basically however, what I whatever interesting stuff I can think about with Zuko has already been explored in the comic books of him like settling into his role as the Fire Lord. Like I guess maybe like probably closer to the probably like maybe like older than where Zuko is in the comic books. Like uh maybe like Zuko like five, ten years into his reign as Fire Lord, you know, maybe something on the development of Republic City through his perspective or something yeah. like that. Or, you know, that's 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 what I would say. But it's already been explored in the comics. Well, I so have like, two ideas. Go for I it. Think <laughs> one could either be how Zuko found his dragon. And the second one I think could be maybe could be centered around uh, Zuko's role in taking down the Red Lotus. Hmm. Um, those are the two that For- come to my mind. I imagine. Is it bad that I forgot he had a dragon? <laughs> I did. Big fan. Big fan. <laughs> I know because they oh. they were supposedly all extinct <laughs> except for the masters, but um, yeah, they got busy. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I was gonna say the only one that I would add to to the Red Lotus one is that that would have to be a soccer movie as well because soccer was involved yeah. in saving Korra from it. As I'm well. fine with that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely fine with that. I think it. that's why I was confused because it's like because so many people brought up the Red Lotus one as well. It's like, but if it is the Red Lotus, then why isn't it a Zuka and soccer movie like? Get the bros together. Make it a bro yeah. movie. I think it would be. Yeah, I think when they say solo movie, I think the idea is for the movie to focus on Zuko as a protagonist. But yeah, I could definitely see Katara or Sokka or Toph being around for that or Aang, like just depending on where the timeline that they want to set this film. Um, but yeah, I think it could be interesting. I mean, I, I would like to see like, you know, what could they offer in terms of an emotional arc besides yeah. struggling with his redemption? Like, if I were Avatar Studios, I would put this movie closer in adulthood 
so it's not kind of like a retread of of you know him like struggling with his redemption and because we get that in the show we get that in the comics like i'd like to see something new and challenging for zuko or maybe just how he you know meets his his wife and eventually has a zumi or something you know a zuko and a zula reconciliation that too That'd be interesting. And then the mid credit yeah. scene, we see Azula going to the island where uh, Korra ends up after she yes. loses her memory. I love this theory there you go. so much. There you go, Avatar Studios. I love it. <laughs> I Listen love to us. It. Come on. Please, thank you. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we, we, cool. we'll also be cl- keeping a close eye on that. Again, nothing confirmed, but it's interesting to talk about for sure. Mm. I love it. All right. Y'all ready to get on to the main discussion? Let's do yeah. it. All right, Kayla, take Let's it away. Up season one. All right. Well, in the start of the episode, it's really a very cheerful and upbeat intro as we see the Equalist take over the city. Uh, the cold it just, open. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just kind of, it's just super depressing. We see, you know, Hiroshi Sato giving a speech about, yeah, we won. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, vendors. You're not allowed to be vendors anymore. Like you're, you know, it's vending's illegal now. Like the, I, I wanted to point out what this whole part is. It just made me think about how we don't often see, like, the villains take the city. Like, you know, you see, you know, like, it made me think of, like, you know, almost like the Avengers. We don't see them take completely take over New York City. We don't get that sure. kind of thing. But, you know, in this case, the good guys, I'm saying this air quotes because there's more moral, you know, ambiguity in Korra. But the good guys lose, mm-hmm. you know, and lose pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, and even later when their, like, saving grace supposedly arrives... They get crippled by, you know, the equalist technology. Mm-hmm. Like every part of the win in these next two episodes, every time that like, you know, the protagonists win something, it's just it's feels it feels like earned. It feels like hard fought. Cause they just keep getting their butts handed to them. Yeah. And I think the reason it feels earned is that it's the writing has escalated the conflict in terms of, you know the chi blockers and then they have mecha suits and tanks that can combat benders and then they have these planes and you know and they take over the city so it's like this escalation of conflict where it doesn't go from like zero to 100 you know you get to see just how you know how much they've the bad guys have quote-unquote won it does remind me a little bit of uh the end of season two of atla where they take over um bossing say but i think this is like way more gradual than that i guess um but yeah, it's almost like this is what would have happened if like the drill actually worked on the bossing say wall. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, a little bit. That's what it reminds me of. I can see that. That would make sense with like the context of like the mirror sort of imaging of those two different situations. Mm-hmm. God, that and would again, be so interesting if the drill someone needs to do like a what if fanfic. I, I, I bet there is. <laughs> I think at this point, if it's not already there, like someone needs to write it. Like yeah. I'll look it up afterwards and send it to you guys if there is one. <laughs> yes. Love it. I love it. But yeah, we see like, you know, we also kind of see how much the, you know, the benders who haven't, you know, who haven't had to rely on technology to get as much of an even playing field as much as, you know, the equalists have had to. Um, for example, you see like, I want to make a note of like these firebenders using the cannon to like, ex- you know, accentuate their bending. So mm-hmm. they are using technology in a little bit, but it made me think of like what they, you know, what would have happened. They used like ex- for straight up explosives, you know, yeah. like, you know, thinking about that and like, I mean, and again, we see basically modern warfare or, you know, semi-modern warfare going on here. Airplanes, the introduction of airplanes. Like, oh my God, I love that so much. 
Yeah, it yeah. was very um it was very Pearl Harbor-y, wasn't it? I didn't even Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. Especially considering like Hiroshi Sato's planes because like he's meant yeah. to Oh god, he represents someone like he's a mixture of two different characters. I can't remember exactly who. Um, like historical figures as well. You think yeah, too. Like the sort of inventors and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess like I guess he's like, you know, Ford with the invention of the Sato mobile, and I guess he's also mm. the Wright brothers with the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. so there's that. Um oh, yeah. Seeing the seeing the the elements of like what you mentioned about like the the five and earth and stuff using their elements with like machinery to fight with, but then seeing quite literally their own elements working against them in the case of um, Lou, is he lieutenant? Is he lieutenant Iro? General Iro. Oh, General Iro. Yeah. Um, um, when General Iro fires like some fires some fire, um, at like. A bomb, basically, and it quite literally explodes in his face because he like fucked that up so yeah. badly, not thinking it through. Probably because he hasn't faced things like that as much like before. Because like obviously, non-benders haven't really engaged in warfare as much as benders have, mm. which obviously was Amon's entire point throughout most of this series. Right. Is benders cause the problems, and it's like, yeah, he ain't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but also like you look at this and like oh, god we really should have been looking to the non-benders for like inventions because this this stuff is amazing yeah exactly and, just, oh. and awful and amazing <laughs> awful and amazing and it's just it's conflicting <laughs> but i just love everything about it just like and just to kind of counteract some of the arguments always about it of the complaints of oh but it's modern warfare i'm like yes Quite literally, as you saw in Avatar The Last Bearbender, with the blimps and the airships. And the submarines. And the submarines. Like, people. Literally, all it is is that they've just expanded a little bit further. From blimps to airplanes is not that big of a jump. If anything, they went about it the opposite direction. Planes really should have been coming first. And then blimps, because blimps are very, very complicated. Yeah, I don't know. Out of all the things to focus on, I don't. they pick out these weird things. I, I just don't understand. Yeah, yeah, it's just odd. Just odd. Um, but yeah, essentially, so they rescue, you know, the gratuitous cameo. I mean, sorry, General Iron. <laughs> oh, one, other, one other thing. One other thing I, I wanted to, to bring up. It was really cool seeing um like Cora like in the water, like kind of in her native element and the yeah, way she was, like yes. like maneuvered like the missiles, like it was really cool to see that. I just wanted to point that also, out. Also, I also the details of when she's swimming in the series. Uh as someone who used to be a swimmer, I do love the detailing on the fact of like the way that she swims. I'm like, this is how I would go through the water as a competitive swimmer. So oh, interesting. Just the details like that. So if there's I mean, I don't know if they she uses it in this scene in particular, uh-huh. but there is scenes where she's swimming through the the harbor where she's in streamline where like she squeezes her arms to her ears and stuff like that and that is the ideal position to be in and does dolphin kick or butterfly kick and that is like the ideal position to be in and the ideal kick to do to get you through the water faster so interesting details like that i bet you um, no other avatar podcast is talking about swimming technique yeah. <laughs> and that's the last time i want to talk about it is... <laughs> oh my god but um yeah, so they rescue, like I said, I, I mean, I made the joke about the gratuitous cameo, but, you know, it's it is there, guys. You're not wrong. <laughs> I brought this up to someone else. I don't remember who I said it to, but I love Dante Bosco. He's brilliant. I love him so we much. We all do. But why? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
the moment I heard the voice, there was a part of me where she's like, oh, that's so cool. That's I'm only gonna picture Zuko now, and this character like has yeah. no other part. Like this isn't this isn't General Ira. Like the fact yeah. that I forgot that he was called General Ira, I was like, I just know he's called exactly. Ira. That's it. Yeah, and also just yeah, yeah. Let I, me I, voice talent. <laughs> I do. I do think I love Dante Bosco too. I do think that the voice acting is just a tiny bit distracting. But also, you yes. know, anytime there's something like iffy or weird about the season, it uh, it is almost always able to be back like tracked back to the fact that they thought this was their one season you know yeah. so and they had, like, no of budget. course they want to get like the adult gang flashbacks of course they want to get to like you know Dante Busca back in some Zuko, form I'm sorry you know so I, I get it but it's like again making me think of like would this have gone down the same way if, if they knew that they were getting four seasons off the bat or just even mm-hmm. two you know yeah you know that so, yeah, like I said, Gertuda's cameo gets rescued. They all decide to go off and try to stop the equalist revolution from going any further, especially with they have literally the backs to the wall. They have not, not much left to lose at this point because they don't, you know, like they called for the United Nations to, you know, to not send the rest of their enforcements right away because they'd run into the same trap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to point out before they split off and do their separate things because Korra decides to go and face Amon, Mako decides to go with her, leaving, you know, gratuitous cameo, Bolin and uh, Asami to go and deal with the rest of the technology to stop them from taking more ground, so to speak. I just want to point out this one line really quick of, uh, you know, Iroh, I'm going to keep referring to gratuitous cameo, saying, my grandfather would respect the Avatar's instinct, so will I. I'm like, excuse me? Did you? Did you? <laughs> I would like to see the proof. A bold-faced liar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining the scene where, like, you know, they're when Zuko and Aang are, like, you know, it's when, like, during the Firebending Masters episode, and, like, Zuko, I don't think you should touch that egg. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm thinking of every time I think of this scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, something a little more depressing that really hit me in this scene was Asami's face when Mako decides to go with Korra. And I want to talk about this more in the second half because there's a lot to say about Asami. There's so much to... Uh, But I just want to point out that that just like broke my heart in two. I just want to say that. Yeah, she she deserved better. Not just from a writing standpoint, but as from a character standpoint. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Asami stands. I mean, her arm's literally on my arm, so... (laughs) She's like you. She's, you know, she's even the more detailed of the two arms here. <laughs> Don't mind. Oh my god. Anywho, so another big point in this episode is the the reveal of the you know the fact that Amon is Tarlock's brother and his name isn't really Amon, which fine I guess his name his real name was Noah Talk, um, which also means that he can bloodbend. He is a fucking scary bloodbender. Uh, not only that, you know, not only because he's your co-own son, but also like, you know, yeah, like Tarlock was pretty scary with his bloodbending, but like Amon can do it without like having to move his hands or do anything. Like it's like psychic bloodbending, I think you referred to it as. Like Tarlock referred mm-hmm. to it. Like Which is scary as shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and even Yeah. And just like, I mean, good thing the mask covers his face because the facial expression that young Noah talk was making when he was just like Yeah. You know, I that, wonder like, if he trained out of it eventually though as well. Like, because when we're seeing him do stuff, he doesn't, he still doesn't really move that much, even with, under the mask when he's doing the mm-hmm. bloodbending. Like, his eyes do yeah. move, 
but not as exaggerated as they were when he was a kid. So I think he but just it, honed it, that ability yeah. more, so it's even more invisible. That's even scary that he was able to pick it up that quickly as a kid, too. Like, he was, what, like yeah. a teenager by the time he ran from home? Yeah, it was like 14, 15, I think. Yeah. Um, but essentially, we find that, that you know, the two boys were raised to be weapons by Yacon, their father, to exact his vengeance on Republic City. Mm-hmm. And that sort of trauma turned them from these cheerful, loving boys who had a close relationship into traumatized adults who take their unresolved trauma and turn it into, you know, trying to gain power for different reasons. Or maybe not so different reasons, actually, because there's, 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 there's foils somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> they both wanted power because they believed they were doing the right thing. In different ways, you know. Yeah. Um. I wanted to quickly point out. Of course, I love you know uh, etymology, and I wanted to know if Amon the name meaned anything. And the name Amon stems from the Greek Amon, a variation of the Egyptian word, uh, it, which shares its meaning as the hidden one. Um, and it says, though seemingly shrouded in mystery, Amon rather captures the revered god's ability to be whatever his devotees require. Which is interesting. Very interesting. Um, but I want to talk about this flashback. First of all, I thought for some reason, my memory was like the flashback takes like the entire episode to tell. And then we were halfway through. I was like, I get, oh, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know why I imagined it. I remembered it like much longer. Um, but I wanted to talk about this flashback because, of course, not only it reveals very important information, I, I, and I never realized this until now when I rewatched it for the podcast, there's a lot of question marks surrounding Amon's motives. So in the flashback, obviously, we're kind of meant to take away from the fact that from Amon's perspective and to a certain extent from Tarlac's perspective, that bending and the pursuit of power for bending tore their family apart. But in the flashback, Noah talk first set, like calls his father a weakling. He calls Tarlock a weakling. And he's, he tells to you, he says to Yacon that the most powerful being is the avatar because he took your bending away. What's more powerful than that? And so then you're supposed, I think you're supposed to take away that he wants that power. He wants to be able to be on the level of the Avatar and and gain that power. But then when we get out of the flashback, Tarlock says he thinks that he truly believes that Amon believes that Bending is the source of all evil in the world. So there's like kind of conflicting sort of like information when it comes to his motives. And it, it it's it's funny to me because like his fake backstory almost makes more sense than his actual story of how he got here in the first place. So I just wanted to like pick your brains about that because I never really like considered his motives too much until now. So, and I'm like, I'm kind of like going back and forth, not really knowing like where to land on it. That's interesting. You bring up the, the note that was made in the flashback of like taking away bending is like the most powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason why I feel like I lean more towards the opposite bit of he truly thinks bending is like evil is the reality of what he was in of being in a traumatic home life of his father telling him he has to be strong he has to be the most powerful power is the only thing that gets you somewhere um and having that drilled into him since the day he was able to like bend water Mm -hmm. 
I think then after that, it's just kind of like tied into him as a child and then leaving that environment in my head. Oh God, that I went very Northern in my head. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why that happened. Um, I do. It's one in the morning. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best time for hot ticks. <laughs> um, I think it's possible that that part is still within him in some ways. There's still that darker side of what he's doing and why he wants to do this. But I think after leaving that toxic environment and actually getting out and experiencing the world and seeing even more of the horrors of the world, because like Republic City is a really good example of how terrible vendors can be and often are. Mm -hmm. And I think that would lead to him going down this different path of not only using power to actually put himself on top by being able to take other people, other vendors' bending abilities away, having him be the only one. But in his mind's eye, will also be taking away the possible evils of what he became from other people as well. Yeah, it makes yeah, in that regard it makes sense. My, I guess my issue is we kind of have to do a lot of inferring from things mm. we don't see. And I can totally believe that Amon like like traveled the world and saw how much, you know, bending had to press people all all these things, but it's the fact that if anything, this flashback should have actually revealed his actual motive for what he's doing. But I, I think it just like made it more confusing. And that's why I say his fake story makes more sense than his actual story from what we see, you know? So it, cause it's, yeah. you know, he, you could say that, Oh, he, he doesn't like bending. He thinks bending is the root of all evil. But if you wanted to back that up, you probably, you would maybe want to see Noah talk, just struggle with the idea of bending and question your cone on a lot of things. But Tarlock seems to be the one that's doing that. Noah talk seemed to be going along and, and maybe even enjoying all the stuff that he was learning. So that's why it's kind of confusing for me because I, I, from that flashback where we leave Noah talk, we're not really sure how he feels about bending. Like he hates bending because it tore his family apart, but also it's really powerful and he wants to be the only bender which is, I think, what we're supposed to take away from it. But it's just like, the more I think about it, it's like, I feel like there yeah. that flashback should have made his motive just a little clearer. I don't know. Yeah. That's just that's just my personal feelings on it. Good point. Yeah, because I remember, like, I was writing, it was funny that Andre and I were writing the notes at the same time, literally, like, <laughs> yeah. two hours before we record. Because we're professional. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so I was writing down like my comment on like the backstory. And I was at first I wrote like, you know, I mean, it's kind of a different concept than what we're used to with villain origin stories. Um, but then like I said, like we see a bender trying to wipe out bending, which is a cool concept. And then I saw Andre's comment about it, which he just, you know, discussed. And then I was like, and I, I think I remember I wrote something. My original note was added that I can't quite wrap my ha- head around under, you know, it. And then um, and then I realized, oh, yeah, because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> But it's like, I'm like, you don't, I'm like, this is cool. But then you think about it yeah. and then it's like, oh. And I think the was... reason it's not so astutely <laughs> clear that his motive is a big question mark is just because he's a really good, terrifying villain, you know? But so it's like, yeah. it's almost like, look over there. Like, don't worry about the motive. Just look at how cool he is as a villain, you know? So I don't know. I I think if anything, we I could have used like maybe two more episodes or something. I think it's also because we learned this so late in the game that if we like maybe just spent a little more time in the flashback or 
just even after the flashback before we got to the the finale i don't know i don't know how we would have fixed this apart from just making it a little more clear in the flashback why amon is doing what he's doing now yeah i think what would have been interesting is from what both of you have just been saying as well is if we just remove that line from tarlock of saying that amon believes that bending is the root of all evil it just makes him a bad person who seeks out power through manipulation like that would have worked that would have, i would have been happy with that as well i would have bought it like, think just that. that one line gone i think this is this is where it comes in like this is the one critique that i often have for cora but it is not remotely hey you're allowed to critique the things you like you're you're not being an asshole about it as long as you as you critique it in uh, in an accurate way (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) things like that so yeah go for it go for it the the critique is technically more about nickelodeon being dickheads Mm -hmm. yeah right um, so I think Nickelodeon's the root of the evil. No, I'm kidding. They, they truly are. They truly are. Um, <laughs> which is why I'm slightly nervous about Avatar Studios, but hopefully they're not involved in any way. But conversation for another time, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think the reason why this issue is coming about is that it was just Mike and Brian in the writers' room. There was no writing team. It was just them mm-hmm. for all of this season. And I think things like this could have been rooted out mm-hmm. very easily if there was some, like a few other people to bounce these ideas off of and figure out how to put the dialogue in. Because just agree. two people for 12 episodes, it's you're and not going to... think gonna... that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's more common these days, but mm-hmm. it was not as common. Especially animation, it's very uncommon just in general. Like you have loads... Like look at Avatar Last Airbender. There were 42 about writers for that entire series there were five in total for legend of Korra over all four seasons Mm. and it was the first two seasons there were only two and then they had three for season three and four interesting i didn't know that i didn't realize that yeah i did a video about it on my youtube channel if anyone's interested (laughs) plug away um, plug away (laughs) yeah go for it please this is the place to plug (laughs) But um, I think this is just like one of those things that I can say just because I kind of didn't pick it up because I definitely did infer my own mm-hmm. thoughts onto what I thought Amon was of like, I was like going down the tragic backstory way of like, he saw the evil in his father and he wants to root it out. Right. And which is why like slightly jumping ahead, why I think he's okay with the, the murder and the death and stuff of himself. The, uh, the murder and the death of himself. Just use the word, Fran. The murder, <laughs> the murder and the, and the death. Yes. <laughs> use, use, use the correct word. Love yeah, it. That was, well, I was also going to make the joke about unalive. <laughs> that's proper. That's, I mean, proper. that's also what I was about to say. I was like, why am I using TikTok lingo? <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, I, I think I'm going to retract what I said about, um, you know, not realizing the motive isn't that solid because of the, the flashiness of the character. I don't think it's that. I think there's enough there to infer. I'm, I'm just questioning whether or not it was necessary that we need to needed to infer that much, you know, and how how will our perception would have changed of Amon if we got more concrete answers about why he's doing what he's doing. And you're right. I think they're definitely trying to paint it in sort of a tragic backstory kind of way. But this time around watching it, I, I didn't get that for the first time. And so it was just it was just interesting to kind of just think about it just a little longer and kind of realize that. We don't really know exactly why he's doing this. Yeah. You know, so there's just, it's, and there's, there's argument that you, it's meant to be left up to interpretation, but I don't know. I mean, Fran, I'm sure you can 
attest to this, but I know as a writer, you are, when you're so in the middle of it, you don't see some of the more obvious sort of like holes in your story until you talk to someone else or bring someone in. And you're like, how did I not realize that that was an issue? It's because you've been living with this thing and you've been in the middle of it. And sometimes it's hard to see what's left on the edges, you know? Oh, so hard, so hard. Um, and I've just like for just from my uh, discussion earlier, just like the how little writers, I've generally had more people look at my novel in the last year. Well, actually, no, not even like the novel that's coming out this summer. I've had more people look at book two that is just being currently written mm-hmm. than people who wrote Legend of Korra. Like I've had six people look over it, so that's literally just one more person. And that's in its like early revision stages. There's another round more. So there'll be more people who've looked at this book too yeah. than the entirety of Legend of Korra. Yeah. And <laughs> these are just people I was able to like pull in and be like, hey, is this shit or is this okay? <laughs> exactly. And and I, I agree. I think it happens a lot more rarely in this day and age to have one or two writers for the whole thing or even just like five writers. Um, I know my favorite example of this is Julian Fellows, who, if you don't know, is the sole writer of Downton Abbey. And you can tell he's the sole writer because a lot of that shit does not make sense, but you're just meant to be okay with it. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Same with Euphoria, I know, is another. Oh, I didn't know that he was the only writer. That makes sense. Uh, only writer and only director, I think, as well. Like, he is oh, the God, sole everything which is why people are kind of like at one point you just got to get mm. out of your own way yeah, yeah he's that. a cis white dude who's like centering like women of color in his stories without actually ever addressing the fact that they are women of color unless he's going for the spicy latina trope with one of the other characters that's the only character whose ethnicity yeah. is ever addressed in that show and it's gross on yeah. so many levels i don't <laughs> like sam sam buddy You've got an interesting concept, but for the love of God, bring people in who yeah. know what they're doing. Especially this last season. What was going on? That's why I never got in. That's also one of the reasons why I never got into Euphoria. So yay, I, I've saved myself. I like, oh, yeah, I managed I like, to do episodes. I like the first season, but I, I did notice kind of like, I, that was just more of like, I'm just enjoying the pretty cinematography. The story, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's yeah. happening. I, I really oh, don't. You know, so. But that's that's another podcast. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I think we got we talked about everything we need to talk about in the backstory side of the episode, right? That's yes, like I think so. Seventy percent of the episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or if you're me, hundred well, percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, after hearing Tarlok and Amon's super sad backstory, Cora and Mako decided to take down the revolution by taking away one of the sources of Amon's power, his followers, by revealing the truth about Amon. And that's the end of the episode. I do love when Tarlock says, put an end to this sad story. But then again, as I'm saying it, and as it's leaving my lips, again, I don't... Huh. <laughs> is, it a, is it a tragic backstory? I don't know. It's like they're yeah, making like, us says, believe like, this is the that. Saddest, I don't know like, if I like, buy it anymore. Yeah, and then Cora's and then Cora's like, you know, this is the saddest story I've ever heard. I'm like, girl, how many stories have you heard? <laughs> I will say, even from like uh, the fact that even if they're going down the kind of he's sort of evil in some way, it is kind of sad because like he like is that oh god I'm gonna bring up once upon a time I do have a podcast once upon a time as well entry storybook if anyone's interested, Um, 
But the character Regina Mills from Once Upon a Time is a perfect example of what I feel like Amon could have been like of like how she was in her early days because there's this huge quote that is so important to her character which isn't addressed enough but that's a problem I have with the writers of that tv show um which is evil isn't born it's made and Amon and like Tarlock well, I keep saying Amon but Noah Tok and Tarlock are perfect examples of this case of they were happy-go-lucky boys until their dad got involved and ruined them for life like they don't really unless there's a there doesn't seem to be any therapist in this world no and people fucking need it no. like, is this could have all been avoided if someone Ta- had given him therapy toff and kind of katara at least in the case of cora's therapy uh yeah. were, were that her therapist but that's it not everyone's as lucky to have that yeah mentors <laughs> and in the case of toff like she's very much the uh <laughs> I'll insult Hand, you until on. you tell yeah. me about your problems. <laughs> um, oh my god, we'll have you back off for season four to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I, I the only reason why I think the sad story works is just because even in the context, even though he's a bad person and even though the story doesn't make sense, yeah, it yeah, yeah. still really does kind of suck like these young boys' lives were ruined because of one man's like anger. Yeah, and they they've been affected by it by the rest of their lives, which is obviously how it comes to end in the finale. They know they have no other option; they can't ever escape this scar on their lives. Yeah, so when you, it when you up put being it like that, sort of yeah, definitely. If I just don't think about the motive part, then yeah, I get it. And and it it is a really good line. I really do like that line a lot. Um, but also, just quickly, a character moment for Tarlock: the fact that he apologized uh, yeah. to everything that he did for Cora. Or two Cora. Yeah, the two Cora. Um, yeah, just it's it's again like you're not quite sure how to feel about him at that point anymore. Yeah, so right? yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. He seems to not really know much about himself either, as well, which I thought was interesting. Like he doesn't really know mm-hmm. who he is or where he's meant to go in life anymore either. He's kind of lost himself in some way. Yeah, I do think is- though, if we did get at least one more episode in this season. It is implied that, you know, Amon leaves from, you know, the top floor. So it's implied that he's talking to Tarlock. So I would have mm. loved to seen a scene of them talking about yeah. what he's doing. And maybe that would have solidified the motive thing a little more. But yeah. 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 We'll never know. Never know. Well, that wraps up our recap for 111. Skeletons in the closet. By the way, there was no skeletons in, in no closet. So negative four out of ten. <laughs> 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 stupid joke had to make it but we'll be back with the final episode of season one of legend of Korra recap after this ad read hey everyone kayla here before we get into the second half of the episode we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the avatar hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice and if that platform has a rating system please consider it leaving us a review and maybe some feedback With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show! And welcome back. All right, let's finish up Season 1 of The Legend of Korra. Let's talk about 112 Endgame. Um, So we're just going to go, you know, through what happens in this episode. Big plot points. Um, Iroh taking down the (sighs) Eagles airships. Um, You know what? It was cool, but... I think for the first time during a rewatch of this episode, I was annoyed at the sequence because I just realized the other stuff that was going on was so much more interesting. And I felt the way they spliced in 
um, the scenes of him taking down the airships was like, ah, oh. it felt so weird to me. It felt like really jarring, like going back and forth so much. And I think it would have just been fine going back and forth between Korra and Asami and Korra and Asami. Um, but it 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 ultimately is worth it because he like you know bangs the the plane against the Amon mask that they put on on Ang statue, which we didn't even talk about. Um, oh right, yeah, and he says thanks for looking out for me, Ang. But in Zuko's voice, it's so distracting. <laughs> Yeah. And I do have to uh, shout out to Nickelodeon who made sure you saw every single one of those equalists falling with a parachute just so there's no no room up for interpretation. Uh, they all survived. It's okay. No violence. So that way we don't pull a, did Jet just die? Yeah. <laughs> and I love, I love the dichotomy of we got to show the parachute, but at the end of the episode, murder-suicide, and we do see the boat blow up. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. Although admittedly... What we don't know about the parachutes is how hard they're going to still hit the water and whether or not they'll be so winded that they'll drown. A lot of a lot of interpretation going on in these two episodes, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> a lot <right>? of inferences. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I just basically inputted death specifically. It's like, there's not enough death. How do we make it? <laughs> winded, drowned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I also love... I in. In my head, I imagine Brike showing Nickelodeon the first pass of this episode and Nickelodeon being like, mm, can we put that on TV? Can we put a murder-suicide <laughs> on TV? I don't know. And then Brike was we like, can put a murder we're, suicide, we're doing it. Sorry. We, we can put a murder-suicide. I want to see how far we can go. Like, yeah. Okay, can we, have, can we have gay people? No. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we can't I'm corrupt the youths. But we can watch them watch a murder suicide. Someone gets suffocated. Yeah, that's someone fine. Commits suicide. Literally commits suicide with the with the, the that thing. Yeah, we're gonna do that. Um, what else happens in the show? Uh, <laughs> Tano suggestively telling Cora that he can give her private lessons. Oh yeah, that. That's fine. I didn't even think gay that's people. Fine. No, no, nope. Absolutely. There's a sexual harassment as well with Bolin and Ginger. Mm. Yeah. And that that's whole, de- you know, that whole Aska situation yeah. in general. Yeah, that's fine, too. Suffocated in an air ball. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I always said that. Yep. Yeah, suffocation's fine. <laughs> suffocation's fine, yeah. Unless- that's horrible. Like queer people that- holding hands? Hor- horrible death. Horrible death by electrocution. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, got that. All right, we got to move on. <laughs> Exploding someone's head in a bucket thingy. Yeah, that too. In a bucket that thingy. That's what it was. In a bucket. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, do you guys Rain, have any... Blame the Rona. <laughs> do you guys have any thoughts about this Iroh taking it down? It was cool. Let's move on. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, Airplanes. Bolin, Asami, cool. and Hiroshi. All right, now we're getting into it. So mm. this is, again, where I feel like we would have benefited from just another episode or two because I really wish we had more time with Asami to Always. really dive into the nuances of how she's feeling after this thing with her dad happening. Because I'm sure that there's some part of Asami that's really struggling with the fact that her father is doing all these terrible things, but it's her father. So she still loves him, but it's like she doesn't know what to do. And I kind of thought like it's not quite the same, but it's kind of like that situation where your family has like really questionable political beliefs, but you know, like you still have to reconcile that with the fact that they're still family a little bit, you know, like it's, it's mm. kind of that situation. Um, but that's, again, it's, we get that, that line from Cora, a couple episodes of her telling Mako that she's going to need you. And then next episode, Asami kind of seems to be over it. 
So it's kind of like, you know, it's again, yeah. it's like we don't get to see that fully pan out with the Sami, you know? So it's like, yeah, common, I wanted to see more common of that. Theme, common theme throughout Korra. We wish we got more Asami. I, just, I <laughs> yeah. just don't love the fact that Asami becomes much less relevant when she's not attached to Mako. Or, yeah, or I her don't father love in that. this case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. love that. The only reason why I will put some defense towards Mike and Brian's writing of this is that Asami was originally meant to be the villain, like one of the villains. Yeah. Right. Like she wasn't actually meant to be connected. So I think this is again like from earlier, like the issue of only having two people in a writing room mm. where they had an original direction and then decided to kind of change that and have her, you know, go against her dad instead of actually being <laughs> Yeah. No, no, fuck you, Marco. Which immediately I would have loved, because um, also accurate, um, but also don't fuck Marco because that's a bad decision. Um, <laughs> but Snaps I think that's you. kind of where they get some issues with that later on. Of they don't really know where to take her. Yeah, and that's a similar issue with book two, books three and four, because they finally have a woman in the writers' room as well. Yeah, um, right. You can see where Asami kind of like her storytelling kind of catches its momentum a little bit more and ironically Marcos falls into the background <laughs> yeah <laughs> they swapped I don't know if yeah I, I think they knew where to go it's again I just don't think that they had enough time to develop it like this is a really interesting thing that's happening with again her relationship with her father and the fact that he's with the equalist and the fact that she's a non-bender and she's not like there's so many things that we could have gotten into with her but unfortunately it's kind of just consumed by this love triangle thing. And we don't really, I'm not going to say like they painted Asami as an obstacle for Korra. I don't think that's what's going on. I just yeah. think that there was some thought put into this character quite a bit. And who knows, maybe Bright did want to do an extra episode focusing more on Asami and Nick, Nickelodeon shot it down. I wouldn't be surprised. Yes, homophobic. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's again one of the many instances in the season where I could tell there's more there, but we just never get the time to go there, you know. Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Shake's fist. I was shaking my fist as I did that. <laughs> but I, I love like Bolin coming into the rescue and helping Asami. And all yeah. the fact that Hiroshi's like straight up about to kill her too. Yeah. And he's oh like, God. I see now there's no chance of saving you or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's a little, that's a little uh, 180 little. there from a few episodes ago where he was like, I'm gonna get my daughter back. Yeah. And I'm just like, nope, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. And now let's get into uh Korra and Mako versus Amon. Um, so they show up at the Prebending Arena and Amon has uh kidnapped uh the remaining airbenders. So it turns out that they didn't escape, and unfortunately, Lynn's sacrifice was for naught. Um, Ow. Korra attempts to try to, you know, expose Amon, um, but, but he's prepared but for she, everything. But also, all she has, though, is the testimony of one guy. Yeah. There's only one guy who could come up and be like, yo, he's a fake. I think Korra you know? was thinking, well, if I say it, everyone's going to believe it. And I think Mako was kind of thinking, let's just sow doubt, if possible. Because it did happen with the lieutenant. The lieutenant was yeah. like... What is she talking the about? Fuck? What's going like sowing 
Like even just yeah, going just a small, little bit, being subtle. Being, she, he was like more. We want to go a bit more subtle. She's like, nope. I'm going to yeah. announce to the whole world. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's of course naivete playing a little bit into the fact that of course these people aren't going to believe her, right? No. Um, yeah. but yeah, Amon prepare for anything. He's got like a full like prosthesis, makeup, dramatic reveal, all this dramatic reveal, all this stuff. Um, which implies that he figured out how to do prosthetic makeup on his own because like if he wants to keep that such an airtight you. secret, like yeah, theater oh. kid. Yeah, what was it? I was going to say, could he have done it with water bending? Because obviously makeup stuff does have like watery elements to it. So he could have done it entirely with water Ooh. bending. Of, like, yeah. I mean, the it paint in. itself. But like, what about like the thing that made his lip look like that? Like, was that? That looked almost like it was a prosthetic almost. It did look like a prosthetic. You know? Like he has like kind of like that divot in his lip, you know. I I I I love the fact that they they did kind of I like that prosthetic little thing there. So did so did Amon invent special effects makeup before movers were even a thing? Yes. <laughs> that's what. That's... Yes. Yes. Varric <laughs> ultimately just, took just... all of the planning ideas from Amon's you know reign as the equalist terrorist, and he's like, I'm gonna apply that to mover making. <laughs> And you know what? And you know he he should just like he should just stop with his all like bending his bad crusade. He should have just gone into theater. I just it, I don't know why it's so funny to me that it, there is a very good chance that there's a stage manager backstage with a headset going. All right, lights up on three, two, Bring one. The- I'm on go. Like I I just airbenders I love airbenders that. in the airbenders in the uh, elevator. Yep. Airbenders up. <laughs> three, two, one, go. <laughs> I don't know why. I just that's so funny to me to think that there's someone stage managing this whole thing. That's why I say Amon's a theater underpaid, kid. He's the OG theater kid. Underpaid theater, underpaid like stage manager backstage. Yeah. Like maybe <laughs> sweating bullets. Maybe when he was traveling, maybe he wound up in a circus. Maybe he did, you know, love amongst the dragons. I don't know. Like anything could have happened. Um but yeah, Avatar Studios answer this. Exactly. I need to know. That's the prequel movie. Amon's years. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, they try to save their airbenders. Honestly, it was really macabre seeing like like the kids tied up kids? like that. That was horrifying. That yeah, that was really Still unsettling. Is. I was like, but no gay people though. No gay nope, people. No gay people. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, they end up saving them. And oh, there was there was a revelation uh back uh in the previous episode that Mago seemed to have deduced that the way Amon seems to best every bender is that he somehow like slightly maneuvers their body to make sure they miss every time or something like that. And I was like, that's something that, again, another episode could have solved. They skipped over it so quickly. I'm like, wait a minute. Let's go back to that. That's that's yeah. really interesting. Wait, I missed it. I missed it, too. How did he do that? How did he? What? What's going on? Yeah. And I also love Um, there's almost like a moment where. I, if you're like watching this for the first time, like when he reveals his face, that's what I was talking about earlier, like the prosthesis and he reveals his face. Like maybe like when you're first watching it, you have a moment of like, oh my God, did Tarlac saw them out? Did like, was that completely like not real? You know, like that, I think they should have played that up a little bit more because that, that would have been really juicy, you know? Yeah, right. If, they, if that whole backstory was fake, ugh, that would have been, uh, that would have been amazing. Because uh, you know how he is, Amon with the planning. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, they they fight, 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 and they get into this room. It's truly, like, horror movie, the way everything was, goes down in here. That was the only time I got a jump scare. Literally, a I, jump I scare did, with, like, I, I all the high there was a jump scare. and stuff. Like, yeah. oh my god. I forgot about the jump scare. Like, damn. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, oh, before we get into that, um, there is that scene where Cora, like, you know, uh, firebends in the hallway and creates, like, a fire barrier. And Amon seems to, like, move the flames like when he goes through right some people are like can he fireman but chris was actually watching it with with me my boyfriend uh right before the episode and he's like and he brought up something i never even thought of and he was like what if like because he's such a really talented waterbender he's like waterbending the mist in the air and like making the flames move out of his way and i was like I need to get you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right? I, let's have I the never podcast. thought of that. I never thought of that. It's definitely possible. I like that. I like that idea. Because when you watch Details. it back, it does seem a little unnatural how the flames just kind of, you know, move out his way. I know, like, for him. I know that kind of already happens when you, like, you know, dive through flames like that. But, um, but yeah, I kind of like that as a headcanon. Yeah, you're talking from personal experience? Uh yeah yeah that's happened once or twice, uh, <laughs> um but yeah so yeah going into this like horror movie sequence um the lieutenant sees Amon bloodbending Cora and taking her bending away we'll get to that in just one second um and this is like kind of like the start of Amon's downfall because he's kind of been like exposed you know and I think he pretty much kills this guy I'm just gonna say that he yeah. killed him. Um, but yeah, so this man's dead. He's so sleepy. He's resting. He, he's resting. Pieces. He's resting. In pieces. That man is dead. <laughs> <laughs> the whole TikTok audio for that. I want to say it's from like Free Guy or something. I don't know. I'm I sorry. Know. <laughs> I had to bring that reference in. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cora gets her bending completely taken away. What's the gag? I do remember little twelve-year-old me watching that, being like, "No way." They did it. They did that thing. What did y'all think? Do you do you remember your first reaction to when that happened? Gagged. I paused. I paused <laughs> and sat in shock. I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, it definitely it definitely is painted like, "Oh, they just lost. They yeah. just completely completely lost." Yeah, it's it's to this ballsy. day. I'm still surprised that they took that risk especially with like a younger audience you know yeah like that's it's a, a big that risk was a ballsy that was a ballsy move yeah i love it yeah it's uh, uh it's ugh, i'm getting chills it's her reaction it. it's her reaction afterwards i think <sighs> yeah. is the main bit of it of like she tries something and like the terror in her voice of like that little oh i've got a huge props to janet varney for the mm. voice acting there like this yeah. the tiny the smallest like you can just about hear the little wobble in her mm-hmm. voice when she asks him, like, what have you done? Yeah. Just, oh, it's oh. so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, and then he eventually goes to take Mako's bending away. Um, but he's he was, you know, bloodbending the lieutenant. Mako gains some control back and he manages to lightning bend Amon. Um, and so he escapes with Korra. He and- gets one point. He gets one, just the one. He gets, he gets the one just point. The that one. was a cool moment. That was a cool moment. I'll give him that. Just that. <laughs> um, I was gonna say to put in a mini counter to the people who say, "But well, how was he able to do?" Like, 
oh, but his lightning is so weak because Amon got up so easily. That's so stupid. Like, he has not generated enough electricity in that because he's literally just had this one movement to generate the smallest little bit just to stun him. Of course, Amon's not going to die from that because there is not enough generated electricity within that lightning strike. Exactly. Stop being dickheads. And again, if you don't think this man is fully armored up, like, under yeah. those clothes, come on now. You know, this is a, this is the guy who literally plans for everything. You know, yes. it's not that big of a job. <sighs> so, um, and he even like co- like kind of compliments Mako for getting the better of him, and you know, yeah. he's about to take his bending away, and at the very last second, Cora screams no, and she air bend fist punch whatever, and Amon is for the first time in this series shook. Yeah, because he's like what. The fuck happened? The fuck? And this is always just a, a favorite moment to see uh, on a rewatch. Fran, it's just Fran's so got their, good. Fran's got their arms in the air. They're just like, <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's such a great moment. And you know why? And I thought about it more. And I think it's because the last time we talked about Cora's airbending training was four episodes ago. So they've yeah. taken it off our radar. So when it happens, you're instantly reminded, oh yeah! That's the thing that she couldn't do. And it's just like it adds on to like the epicness on top of the fact that, oh, she can still airbend, you know? And um, someone had a, a theory in here about uh, what Amon did. Fran, you want to talk about this? Oh, yes, yes. So just to do an additional plug, I did do a video on this on YouTube channel as well. But I would, I'm Love basically... It. All the give, plugs. Give, give all the plugs. <laughs> when we're um, making big money, we're going to have you in partnership. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> we'll help you, we'll help you with the YouTube videos. <laughs> awesome. I will take it. Um, <laughs> but basically my theory for how, like, Amon not only takes bending away, but how Cora was able to airbend is that with bloodbending, I believe that Amon has been shutting or locking the chakras of the of each bender so specifically their elemental chakra for the element that they can bend mm-hmm. and in the case of Cora, it takes a little bit long i always felt that when he was doing like her, his bending of her it looked like it took longer than it did for anyone else mm. like the others were kind of like instantaneous whereas this one it lasted a period of time that seemed a little bit longer than the others. And for me, the reason for that is because because she's the avatar, she has multiple different elemental chakras that are open. Interesting. So he's locking all of these different ones. But the air chakra, to me, I always felt was consistently locked because like, obviously air is the element of freedom. Cora has never experienced freedom in her entire life. So from the get-go, oh, that chakra was, was always going to be locked. There was never going to be a way for it to be unlocked because she does not understand how freedom works, because she does not have it. Oh. And so, in his messing about, because he was also fiddling with the air chakra as well, because he doesn't really know that she doesn't have the capability and he wants to lock it away just in case, oh. he actually unlocks it, which gives her the ability, through instinct, to use airbending in the way that she knows how, which is with a fist. That I love tying that into the freedom thing. That is that is great. Do you know what also is the, like the the air chakra in like Buddhism? It's tied to the heart and love. Yeah, I was gonna say. So right? when she sees the person that she loves in danger, it opens up her air chakra. That is, a, I love, I love the theory of the chakras are the things that are being locked instead of like blocking the chi paths. I think I like that your theory a little more than that because I think it's it's you know chi blocks it's it's purely physical 
you know, whereas the chakras are more tied to the emotional side of of bending. So I, I really love that theory. That is really, really good. Um, I love it. My, oh my only God. thing, my only, I, I had to kind of ruin it again because um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. On, Andre. <laughs> I, listen, was... I had a lot of revelations rewatching these last two episodes. So I, I express how dark it got in here, and I'm like, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, as much as I do continue to love this moment, and I think it's still a really great moment, I'm again kind of disappointed at the potential that could have been there because. I think if we kind of from the get-go stuck with Cora and Mako, take the love triangle out of the equation and have some conflict in there that kind of puts them at odds in terms of whether they should get together or not. How do they love each other? Or maybe they just, you know, they don't start off on the best foot and they kind of have to develop the way they feel about each other from there. I think this would have been like the ultimate fulfillment of an arc like that and that's the only thing for me that's kind of missing from this we get the fulfillment again i think it's we're we're getting just distracted just because it's just so good because we're getting the fulfillment of of you know what we just said about the airbending and the freedom and cora finally unlocking that and on top of the fact of the shock that she can still bend you know, I think if we had that third thing about the emotional fulfillment of, of the relationship between these two characters in particular, you know, I think it would have it would have been much more impactful. I just think, again, the love triangle, it's it's much more than just kind of like it's just an annoying thing that comes with this season. I think it undermines a lot of things, a lot of characters in this season, unfortunately. Um but that's the that's the only thing. I still think it's a really great moment. It's a really, really, really good moment. But I, again, it's just kind of like the what if in me. If if we had a more, I don't know, just a more enticing uh, arc between Cora and Mako to get to that, you know, emotional climax in that sense. So yeah. I don't know. I'm just uh, just very negative today. But I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's like you have it's like, like look how cool this is, and it's like Andre's like, whoa! I'm just giving how my thoughts. I completely undermine I'm giving it. my thoughts. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But also, we're de- we, we're making. Fun. I'm just. It's just fun to also just tease you a little bit on that too. <laughs> um, Andre ruins everything. The title of this episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want a t-shirt. I think I'm done ruining, but we'll see. <laughs> For now, we still have a little bit of the episode to go. I mean, we don't have we have we have the murder suicide next. How are you gonna ruin that for us? It's already pretty bad. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, so we get yeah, Cora eventually you know airbends him out of the the building in a really Ye- cool shot, by the way. Um, and Amon falls into the water around the probending arena, and I love I love the the guy being like evil avatar and just standing there and no one's reacting Shaking to him. his fist. Um, and then, yeah, Amon, like, you know, instinctively kind of like, you know, water bends into the, the plume of water and reveals himself to be a waterbender. And I don't know if you guys notice, uh, noticed this, but um, J.K. Simmons is pulling a double shift because he's voicing oh, yeah. a he's random so person, but it so still distinct. sounds like Tenzin. So to me, I imagine Tenzin being like, the avatar was telling the truth. Like just kind of <laughs> like just planting that tree in people's minds instead of, you know, <laughs> like uh, yeah. in the background I, covering his mouth, pretending he didn't say anything. It, it, it kind of reminds me. And then when seeing Team Star Kid, 
uh, the musical, a Harry Potter musical. Uh-huh. This one part, it's like a parody of Harry Potter. There's a point that I promise. Ron turns to Harry at one point, and like you know, when Snape's introduced, and he's like, "That's Snape. He's evil." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. And I, it happens again, like as Amon is is falling. I think like his line is like, "Did you guys see that?" or something like that. It's like I don't. J.K. Simmons can't be a background voice actor because his voice is no. so distinct. It does. It doesn't uh, yeah. work. They have that with um, Janet Varney as well. So th- this is the whole thing. You can tell that they really did not have much of a budget because yeah. you hear their voices in so many different points, like even throughout it, the it series. Is, yeah. It is cheaper to have a voice actor who can do multiple different voices, or yeah. in this case, you know, just, just stand in front of a microphone for five seconds and record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure, um, Mike and Brian, I think, I'm recorded kidding. a lot of different voices for oh, Atla. Yeah. And I'm sure in this series too. So Wasn't one of them the, the foaming mouth guy? Yeah, I, I think, think one so. of them was a foamy mouth guy. I think, yeah. yeah, I think one of them was was doing all the screaming and the yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. so Amon is exposed and uh, he uh, eventually gets away. He returns to Tarlock and says, "You know, we can run away together and start this new life." And let's talk about this murder suicide thing. This is a famous like what the fuck scene from Korra because it really truly does come out of out of nowhere, and it's also a very infamous scene because if you were watching this back in the day on Nickelodeon like I was, um, there's a a really famous story about how when this was airing on Nickelodeon, uh, as this scene started, there was the bumper at the bottom of the screen that came up to promote a new episode. A SpongeBob SquarePants, and SpongeBob is like laughing, and he starts laughing as the murder suicide happens. <laughs> so it looks like he's laughing at what just happened. You can probably find YouTube videos of it, um, but that's my favorite like piece of like trivia. And I, I do it. remember being twelve and seeing that and being like, "That's weird," because <laughs> it it he was literally like pointing up at the screen and laughing. So it was. <laughs> An unfortunate it's like, it, timing it, it, it's with advertisements. Like, well, it reminds you also of another example of unfortunate advertising from Once Upon a Time. Uh, uh, yeah, you probably the, remember this, friend. Yeah, yes, yeah, so she does the first this... thing that came to my mind. <laughs> so they were promoting this spinoff series, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and so they had a little white rabbit on screen drawing the rabbit hole portal, and it's in the middle, right in front of Snow White's like <laughs> private. private. <laughs> so, oh my god! And then he jumps in. Hmm. <laughs> so, Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's fucking legendary <laughs> oh absolutely I've seen that so many times but now I gotta find that Spongebob one yeah oh my gosh um, day. so <laughs> I'm gonna ask y'all the, the famous question surrounding this scene do you guys think Amon knew or Noah Talk knew what Tarlac was going to do yes yes 100% he's a bloodbender he's gotta be able to sense like people's movements and things like that and also like he had the tear running down his face I think he. I think he knew. I don't want to be contrarian. I think I want oh, it to be no. You... I think I want it to be no because I think that just makes everything a, a lot more sadder. I think it's more. I think it's more sad if he did know. I could see that. Yeah, I would like, agree with that as well because he'd be like, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess I, I, you know, I really did go too far. I think we, you know, we both did, and what we, you know, and like we both become as almost as vile as our father, and I think that. I'm gonna you make, know, I'm gonna make the too. argument that it could be read as either. I think that tear mm. can mean a lot of things. Yeah. I think yeah, that I think so. I am okay with leaving up to interpretation. <laughs> that yeah, that, that should be yeah. not Amon's motivation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I go back and forth on it a lot, but I for me personally, I think it's it's more tragic that it was no because 
because it is kind of like what could have been. But also, I mean, Tarlek was like, this is a very dangerous person. I can't just go frolic out into the world and, you know, not expect something bad to happen. So mm. do you feel like Tarlek kind of like redeemed himself by doing this? Uh, I think redemption is a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was too fast of a process to be fully redeemable. You know, I mean, it's like rede- redemption is not something you can put in the microwave and put on for 30 seconds and then you're good and you're redeemed. Sure. This is a, this is, this is a slow cooker. Zuko's redemption arc is a crock pot. Okay. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> whatever Tarlock was doing was more like when you put frozen peas in a microwave. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good like metaphor for it. Thank I think- you. <laughs> I'm also hungry. I'm thinking about my, uh, my pork in the crock pot right now. So. <laughs> I can definitely, yeah, I wouldn't say this is a full redemption, but I think this was... He did kind of good? Like, you know, yeah, he did good. So this is the whole thing. So like, <laughs> the last thing he did was something good. So even though he is not a good person, his final act was for the greater good. Yeah. And this is the thing I bring like up all the time to do with like, Tarlok and Amon is that because therapy apparently doesn't exist um they would never have been able to get over that trauma from their past like they always would have been mm-hmm. at this like at the edge of possibly being corrupted by blood bending again and taking things too far like Tolok set out to be this good politician who brought good things into the world right. and yet he still became this guy of doing these terrible horrible things even though he never wanted to do things like that. Like, he could not do them by the end. And I think they both realised that, which is why I lean more to, like, Amon knew what was happening, because he knows that both he and Tarlok cannot exist in a world where their temptation is their very being. Um, so they know that for this world to actually heal and move on from everything that's happened, it is better for them to not be in it, because at least they'll also finally be at peace and away from their father's like scars against them Mm, i love that yeah i could definitely see that there's a lot a lot of different ways to read this scene which is why i think it's it's a really interesting scene that that we get uh near the end of the series or the season um but yeah but you know just kind of you know that's a wrap on amon how do we feel you know motive aside how do we feel about um his run as the season villain and i kind of want to do this for each end of the season just kind of talking about the villains because well, I the think the villains are one of the things that everyone talks right, about that like right, and yeah. not a lot of people have like a complaint about with Korra yeah Fran you, you except for season two except for season two yeah, <laughs> yeah there's that Fran you have a note here that you uh, you think Amon may actually be the most terrifying villain out of the ones we get yes yeah, so I feel like a lot of people aren't gonna like me for this because <laughs> so, everyone always like we like Korra people already hate us so yeah <laughs> They hate me too, so we're on the same boat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everyone brings up Sahir as like this brilliant villain. But for me, I feel like just Amon is just the most terrifying villain because I didn't like obviously this discussion that you've had of the fact that we don't even fully know what his motivations are. Are they like directed by trauma? Are they directed by a want of power? That in itself is kind of terrifying to think about that we don't actually know what his end goal was exactly but all these things like all this planning all this intense like he literally he was always five steps ahead and always pushing you two steps back Mm -hmm. like putting himself seven steps 
Yes, that's the right math. Yes, putting himself seven steps ahead. I failed math so hard. <laughs> so I was like, I hope that's correct. No worries. But- We're a journalism and, uh, you know, composing student here, so it's okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> But that's why I feel like he's this... Because this is also the thing, like, he is the first villain that Cora is introduced to, and he is immediately in her nightmares. He is immediately bringing her to tears and hysterics because she is so, so deathly afraid of him within the first meeting and interaction Mm -hmm. with him. Like, I think the first time she has a nightmare about him is that she just sees him just, like, in the shadows, basically. She only catches a glimpse of him, and that's enough to in her nightmares and i think that in itself is just it's oh it's i love it i love it so much and i think that's why i'm drawn to him as a villain and why i'm also not fussed about the fact that he is a waterbender as well because i think that makes it even more interesting that he is a bender doing this to in a sense his quote-unquote own kind because he can and it's just oh yes i love villains who are just villainous (laughs) Yes, because what's great about Amon, and that's what I put on my note here about him, is that like he has the qualities of the good, complex villains that we like, like Killmonger, who had points and stuff like that. But the horror and flair and spookiness and intimidation of these classic villains that we like, you know, he's got like this, you know, he's got like the, the mask and the brooding presence of like Darth Vader. And like he's got, you know, just a general, just like the jump scare horror monster, you know, that, we, yeah. that we've seen, like... And I think that's honestly like, you know, it's like it's and I I know I'm quoting Megamind, I'm about to quote Megamind here, but there's a point to this. Uh the difference between a villain and a supervillain is presentation. And he's got that. He's got the complexity, he's got the presentation, and that's what also makes him a fantastic villain. So I worked in a Megamind reference to the show. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what I love about the way they portrayed his villain? The Amon as a villain is because you know when villains wear masks right they're usually there's a lot of symbology there but it's usually to kind of cover up you know a certain what what we see Amon with the the fake scar and everything you know and it's not really that he's hiding that it's the fact that he's hiding who he actually is you know which I think is infinitesimally more interesting than the scar that's why I you know quick Star Wars aside here when Kylo Ren takes his mask off and he's a regular guy, um, that's a yeah. great subversion of expectations, you know? So, and I think we do get a little bit of that as well because we were just told that his whole backstory is fake and then we see that, wait, maybe it's maybe it's not. So it's not necessarily hiding his face, it's just hiding who he is, where he come from, and I guess his motive. He's hiding that too. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, Fran, I never thought about the fact that we never did know what Amon was going to do ultimately, right? Because, you know, with Unalak, it was Thousand Years Darkness, whatever, 10,000 years, um, Zaheer, No Avatar, Chaos, Kuvira, United Earth Kingdom, we knew the end goals for for all these people except for Amon. And I guess, again, a lot of inferences, he wanted to be the only bender, but like, what, he was going to be like supreme ruler of the world? Like, what would have happened, you know? So I think, I think, you know, with Amon, I think the question marks can can play in his favor and detract from him in, in, in a way. Um, I think that mask is hiding maybe just a little bit too much. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for, you know, a first season and f- at one point the only season, 
a really good, memorable villain. For sure. So, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep on going here. Um, Mon's dead. We're moving on. <laughs> Mon's dead. We're moving on. Um, Cora and Mako. He lived, he died. Let's talk about this real quick. Um, mm. So they go back to the South or South Pole. Yeah, South Pole. Yeah, uh, South Katara Pole. attempts to heal Cora. It's not working, and Cora is completely devastated. And for some reason, Mako decides this is the time to profess his love for her. He's there. And Mako's there. And Mako also needs therapy. So bad. He saw his parents murdered. He needs therapy. Yeah, he does not too. understand complex relationships. Yeah. I mean, but also neither does Cora. So I guess they're perfect for each other. Um, no, yeah. no. That's like the recipe for disaster right there, which we do see in season two. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs therapy. Recommended. Like <laughs> now I'm imagining like the, you know, the star of like, you know, the more you know, and I'm just imagining that everyone needs therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that just needs to be the slogan for Legend of Korra is every one of these kids needs to be in therapy. <laughs> so yeah, don't love the the timing of that, but she doesn't like the timing either because she runs. <laughs> no, she's like, she's like, I can't do this right now. Like, and you know, that's perfectly a reasonable reaction. Um, timing matters, timing matters. Um, so we go to her, she's at, at this cliff, and we get, you know, the infamous tear that falls that calls Aang. And we've talked about, Kayla and I, how there's theories out there that maybe she was close to suicide. Um, and I think that that's still stands, just seeing this again. I think it, it was a definite possibility. Um, just again, how much bending was tied to her identity. Um, and then, you know, Aang appears and gives her back, gives back her bending. And I just wanted to quickly pose this to panel. Do you guys think that Cora would have gotten her bending back in the season if there were more seasons planned? I think yes. Just because I think I think someone else also said that, that if they'd done it the other way of her like regaining them in the other seasons, it'd just basically be Avatar again. So That's, I think that was my note too. Oh yeah, yeah. I think they'd still have her get her bending back again but maybe have there be longer consequences of a sort of like the trauma of losing them and the fear of losing them again being like a more like prominent thing with her arc in the next season because we kind of get it a little bit but in my head i'm just like she is traumatized so she is going into full defense mode reverting back all this sort of stuff so they kind of don't address it as much in the next season which i think if they had it planned they probably would have done a little bit more considering how well they address trauma in the later seasons exactly i i think i i also think they would have kept it the same way i think there is a world where you could go about keeping the fact that she doesn't have a bending and not have it be a replica of avatar because i think my main thing about this season with cora's emotional arc and we can just go ahead and tag this on because this was my next question um for me there was a lot of emphasis on the fact that cora ties a lot of her self-worth to her bending and i don't think we ever get to a point where cora absolves or like kind of gets over that or not gets over but kind of like realizes that she's much more than just a bender i think subtextually maybe in season four um but i think it would have been really interesting if they we you know ended this season with as a a hopeful note as possible um no bending just air bending going through season two with no expectations 
of getting her bending back in any way. She's moved on from that. She's trying to be an avatar with just one element. We could have seen like the world's reaction to that. Are you really an avatar? Are you really, if you can't bend all four elements, we, that would have been some really juicy character stuff, having her toil with that and getting to a point where she's accepted herself as a person and a bender second. And then the way she gets the elements back is through harmonic convergence. But that only happens until she accepts the fact that she is a person first, a bender second. If they wanted to go about it that way, I definitely think that could have worked. And I probably it would probably be much more interesting than what ends up happening in season two. <laughs> um, yeah. Because again, and again, just it could have been solved with another episode maybe, but after Amon gets exposed, the episode is like, all right, we got to finish oh, up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got to keep going. Beats. All the story beats. We got to keep going. But yeah. You got to tie up all the ends. But, this is only a limited time series. Yeah. And <laughs> as far as like Cora's like emotional arc, we do see her like struggle with things. But do you think we see any sort of complete arc, you know, again, with the knowledge that this was only meant to be one season? Like, what do you guys think of 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 just the fact that is there an emotional arc? If, if so, is it? do you feel that it's complete or what do you think? I wouldn't say it's complete. I would say it's like it's the starting part of an arc. Like she's learning about the world. She's experiencing like the true horrors of the world and like learning how horrible and how difficult it's going to be to be an avatar and dealing with that. But I think it's more the start of her arc in the sense that, yeah, she was sheltered. She's now been traumatized. She's grown from it in some way of like she's come to learn how this world really works and deal with her own consequences of like not being as rash about some things and here and there. But it's more that starting point than her actually having completed arc. And I wonder if like the reason why it's kind of more of a start of an arc than an end of one is because Mike and Brian were maybe hoping that they could be able to come back to this storyline. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, any thoughts on that, Kayla? Or do you think we're we're good? Uh, I think I have to agree with Fran on that one. That it feels like in some areas that she's grown. I mean, she's grown plenty, obviously, with her exposure to the world. And, you know, but yeah, I think it definitely leaves a bit more open-ended for her development um, and kind of opens the door for where she goes in the next three seasons. Awesome. I agree. Um, I was, and yeah. Oh, I, sorry. Uh, Andrew, I was just going to say to your comment earlier to do with like your idea of how things would change if Cora did lose her bending. There is, it's not with her losing her bending. I can't remember the name of the fanfic, but there is a fanfic. I think it's called The Avatar's Non-Bending Master. And it's a Korosami fanfic because of course mm-hmm. it's me. Um, and it is this whole concept of like after everything that happened with Amon and her losing her bending but getting them back, everyone's kind of like, yeah, no, you were terrible when you did not have any bending. So we're going to give you some like general lessons so you don't rely fully on your bending from then mm. on. I think that would have been interesting if they'd explored that mm-hmm. in book two of like her working towards not relying on her bending in book two and working towards more spirituality in some way as well. But obviously they would need more planning for book two instead of suddenly, right book two, over. you've got <laughs> six months. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And another question of what if, you know, maybe we'll get an Avatar What If series one day. I'll watch it. Um, But yeah, that wraps up our season one recap of The Legend of Korra. Well, that leads us right into Fandom Corner. We have an email from one of our listeners, Caitlin, on their thoughts on Out of the Past. So they want they ask us, 
Why wasn't Katara at the trial? She had outlawed bloodbending. She bloodbit two times that we know of. Her kids would have been grown up and away from the house, so staying home to watch the kids is not a possible answer. She doesn't have to be standing beside Sokka. I would have settled for having her sitting next to her husband. But at least we saw Sokka in his only flashback scene. So... And this is specifically talking it? about Yukon's trial. Yes, that's it, yeah. Um, again, I think it just ties back to the fact that they only had one season, and I think they just wanted to give Toph, Aang, and Sokka their due it, since Katara kind of already had hers. Yeah. I think that's the only reason. I don't know. I don't the only know. additional thing I would note is that Aang and stuff are only 30 when Yukon's trial is going on. And I think he said it was, I thought it was they, 30 or... I think he said it was 40. 40. I thought they said 30. yeah. He, oh, say, he tells Toph I'm 40 years old. Can you stop calling me Twinkle Toes? Oh, I yeah. heard it. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I was about to say, just like, oh, but he's 30, so the kids could still be at home, but no, immediately I'm wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> never mind. It's all good. I'm a dodo. Um, <laughs> so I have nothing. No, it's, no worries. It's, she's probably just in the show already, so they're like, nah, we don't need more Katara. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm I gonna go with that it. too. Or maybe she was on a fun. I mean, I'm not really sure exactly. I haven't quite answered exactly what Katara does besides, you know, obviously, he, you know, having kids with Aang and things like that, and like, you know, I guess have something to do with rebuilding the South Pole. I'm assuming. Um, I like but, the idea of her running a hospital. Like she created yeah. the hospital in Republic Ooh, City. Love that. Maybe that's what she was doing. Like she was an on. She's an uncool doctor at yeah. the time. So I prefer that over, over. She was raising the kids at home <laughs> yeah i was that yeah. i thought that that was not gonna be my answer either i was just yeah. you know like you know the hospital i'd like that idea though <laughs> cool well thank you caitlin for sending in your thoughts and again if you want to submit more things uh we'll have, give all that information at the end of the episode so let's move on to our recommendations awesome i'm gonna recommend if there is an antique mall in your area uh go and check it out with some friends because i went to one this past weekend uh, I saw some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen, and it is truly a museum of very weird, sometimes scary things. And uh, everything was very storied, I'll just say that. Um, this particular antique ball also had a second floor where it was just nothing but like collectible toys, comic books. There was literally like six rows of like um, like retired Funko Pop dolls or something. It was crazy. So if you happen to have one in your area, I would go and check it out. Just see what they got. You could probably find some really uh, eclectic home decor if you're into that. I love it. Well, my recommendation is a little bit more uh, health focused and things like that because, uh, well, if you're in the U.S., you can actually get at-home COVID tests for free through the government, so you can order them. I will put the, you know, we'll have the link in the description, so you can get. I think, I think it's like four or five COVID tests that you can do at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommend doing that because, in my case, uh, it's a little obvious why I'm recommending it this week. Uh, but yeah, keep you know making sure that you're the pandemic is still happening, even if you're vaccinated and boosted. So you know, it might be it's good to get these that way you can. Keep checking in. Don't spread it any further or, yeah. you know, try to minimize your spread. Awesome. So how about you, Fran? Um, so just following on from that. So I have another one, but I want to say recommendation to the British government to do what America is doing instead of making people pay for their tests, which is why we have cases going up because you're stupid, you dumb Tories. 
But aside from political anger, sorry, I just immediately I was like, why no, don't we have right. free stuff? Um, That's the only free stuff we get in America. Oh, yeah, actually, I was going to say, you guys deserve one thing. We've got the NHS, so yeah, yeah I'll take it back because you guys deserve, yeah, I was, yeah, you guys get the free tests, we just get free everything now. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I take it back. That You guys get that one thing. It's okay. Um, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, my goodness. actual recommendation. Um, starting your routine can sometimes be better uh, help in the betterment towards your mental health. So if you're not feeling great mental health wise, someone is working out a routine for yourself during your day can help you feel a little bit better. Uh, I've been doing that recently because my health has been in the drink. Um, so Feel I've that. been getting therapy set up and also been setting up routines to help with my betterment. So hopefully they'll help people too. I Mother. second that. Especially if you're working from home, uh, routines are very, very helpful. Yeah. For sure. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let's plug our social media real quick, Kayla. Go for where can, it. Well, where can the people find us? We are on TikTok at the Avatar Hour Pod, on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast, and on Twitter. And I say Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I can't do words today. It's the Rona. <laughs> we are on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast, and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And like I said before, we're always looking for more Phantom Corner entries. But more specifically, we have a mailbag episode coming up. So uh, get your submissions in ASAP so you can be featured on the episode. We have an email at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. So send them that way. And how about you, Fran? What's your socials? Uh, so if people want to support my author career, they can check me out on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at a dose of Fran. Um, if you want Avatar and Percy Jackson related content, you can check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran. I recently hit 2K subscribers and I Ooh. cried because it was amazing. Um, and yeah, so I do weekly videos on that for all things fictional content. Um, you can also buy my short story, Echoes of the Past, under the name Francesca McMahon um, and pre-order Home to the Wild, the first novel in the Into the Wild series for all you Tarzan, Call of the Wild with lesbians fans out yes! there. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can order that um, and paperback pre-orders will hopefully be up at the end of this month, if not middle Fantastic. of June. Awesome. And if you want some more Avatar Hour in your life, consider signing up for our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month, you can access our show notes, ad-free editions of our episodes, Zoom recordings, including of this episode where you can see all of our cool tattoos. And if you sign up for our $5 Air Acolyte level, you can also gain access to our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour, which we will be doing a new installment of next week. Um, Fran, thank you again for coming on to yeah, the podcast. It's always so a pleasure yes. having you. Of course. This is so fun. I'm sure we will see you again for more Quora recaps in the future. Oh, for sure. But of course. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys. Join us next week for our first Messenger Hawk mailbag episode. But until then, my name is Andre. I'm Kayla. And I'm Fran. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.